The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world wilder than the West. I'm Jake Mintz, that's Jordan Schusterman, and today we are going to be talking about the American League West. Yes, the best in the West. No, Anthony Volpe and Jordan Walker do not play in the AL West. We'll talk about them later this week. We have to preview another division. God, there's so many baseball teams, Jake. This is getting ridiculous. And they want to expand? I say yeah. contract. They should have four teams. Yankees, Red Sox, Dodgers, Royals. Mm. And we just they just keep playing each other. Sounds good to me. Uh, people in Kansas City would love that. Uh, Jake, before we get to the AOS, we do have some uh, spicy uh, piece of news. Very excited about this. Um, we've been working on this for a while now. Super amped to finally announce that on April 8th in Baltimore, Maryland... Ahead of the Yankees and Orioles game, we will be hosting a live podcast event. How does that sound, Jake Mintz? How does that sound? Are we, are we, are we excited about this? this? This seems like good news, right? Yeah, it's great news. I'm absolutely amped. The event will be one hour of me doing stand-up comedy. I'm working blue. Going to be raunchy as I'll get up. I won't talk about baseball at all. But make sure you get your tickets. Come out and see us. Uh, no, for real, Jordan, tell people what this event's going to be about. Yes, well, good good place to start. No tickets, just show up. Uh, 5 p.m. Eastern, yeah. uh, obviously, because that's the time zone that Baltimore is in. So if you're going to be coming to this, uh, <laughs> you should be able to, to know what time it is. Uh, 5 uh, p.m. before the Yankees and Orioles game on Saturday, April 8th. So this is going to be taking place uh, right outside Section 771, uh, a bar formerly known as Sliders, also right next to Pickles Pub. If you know the area around Camden Yards, you're probably quite familiar about that. Uh, now known as Section 771 because it is 771 feet from home plate, which is perfect and should tell you how close this is to the actual ballpark. Uh, but yeah, we'll be right in front. We are going to hopefully be having some special guests as well. But we're excited to to just give this a shot and see see how it goes. And we hope to see as many of you Orioles fans for sure, but I'm sure Yankees fans as well that may be coming down for that series uh, in a couple of weeks. We are we are super excited about this. So yeah, come out, some say hi. I think we'll be planning on going to the game and, and hanging out there too afterwards. And, and yeah, it should be a good time. It's pretty simple. Um, it's free. Show up. We're gonna talk. You're gonna listen. If you're listening to this now, it's like what you usually do. Except you'll get to see us in person, and my mom will be there. So that'll be even more exciting. So come on yes. out on April 8th, right outside Camden Yards. Jake Mintz, Jordan Schusterman, Baseball Barbacast, drop in hot live podcast thoughts. Yes, be sure to bring your matzah. All right, it is time to preview the AL West. We have a special guest coming up for the Rangers, but we have to begin with the A's. Before we get to them, anything we need to preview this uh, big picture of this division or anything else? Yeah, I mean, this division has produced the American League World Series representative in four of the last six years and has sent a team to the ALCS each of the last six seasons 
and has two of the last six World Series winners. So this division, full of talent, so many, so many good. Oh, it's oh, that's just the Astros. Oh, it's just the Astros. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So that's the Sorry. Astros. That's the team that that does it. But hey. That still counts for a lot. The the AL it's like, Central it's certainly like, are not exactly flexing as, as much. So there you go. It's like when UConn, you know, was at its peak in women's basketball. Like the American Conference is like, yeah, we've won all these games and tournaments in a row. It's like, uh, well. And yeah, you have UConn. All right. So let's begin at the bottom. As always, we will tell you what happened with these teams last year. What they did over the winter, they're projected uh, general roster. Our three biggest questions are barometer bonds and the over and under. We begin with the team that might just be the worst team in Major League Baseball. It is the Oakland A's projected for 68 wins on fan graphs, and that sounds rather generous. Jake, what happened to the A's last year? Not a lot. They were about as anonymous and underwhelming a ball club as you could possibly see. Any Good player who was on the team last year is now gone. The only returning player with an OPS plus or ERA plus over 100 above average as a starter is Seth Brown. Sean Murphy gone. Cole Irvin, who's actually below average, gone. This team was ripped up from the studs and shipped away for parts. They did have a kind of an interesting offseason. They signed some adults to play baseball. Jesus Aguilar, Jace Peterson, Aledmus Diaz, Manny Pena, Shinataro Fujinami, Drew Rosinski, Trevor May, and J.J. Blade. No one who's going to knock your socks off, but some actual baseball players that do raise the floor of this team. I assume it's a lot of trade bait. Sean Murphy out the door, traded to Atlanta. Steven Piscotti after a long run in Oakland gone. And Jed Lowry, the mayor of the Coliseum, I think just done. What a career for Jed Lowry, if that is indeed it. As the aforementioned, Cole Irvin, who made 30 starts for them, munched a bunch of innings. He's on the Orioles now. Um, and A.J. Puck, who was one of their top relievers, also gone. All right, let's run through this team. I'm going to do it really li- quickly. <laughs> I'm going to do it really quickly, okay? Catcher, Shea Langoliers. We'll get to him. First base, Jesus Aguilar. Second base, Tony Kemp, who is fun. Shortstop, Aledmus Diaz. Third base, Jace Peterson. Center field, I guess, Estuary Ruiz. Corners, Seth Brown and Ramon Laureano, who's somehow still there. DH, I guess, like Connor Capel. You'll get some Christian Pache in center, some Nick Allen at short, who I do like Nick Allen, but Pache is definitely but. In the rotation, Kyle Muller is getting the opening day start despite having just 11 career starts in the big leagues. The aforementioned Shinataro Fujinami will be in the rotation as well, alongside James Caprellian, Ken Waldachuk, Paul Blackburn, J.P. Sears. Uh, Blackburn, once he gets back from the I.L., Drew Rosinski, once he gets back from the I.L., J.P. Sears is in the rotation. The bullpen is Trevor May, Jerice Familia, who they signed yesterday, and uh, that's it. All right, let's talk about the A's. Three questions. Number one, what is there for A's fans to get excited about? Like, what, like, actually, like, why... We asked an A's fan friend this question earlier, and he said, I'm excited to have my evenings free. Yeah, and I think that kind of sums it up. I mean, you're basically just hoping that the guys that you've acquired, sure, they signed some veterans like Peterson and Diaz, but you're really hoping that some of the guys you traded for, like Kyle Muller, you know, doesn't suck, right? Muller and Waldachuk and Sears, all these guys that they just, I mean, even Caprellian dating back, you know, a few trades. Um, 
you just got to hope that those guys, especially on the pitching side, look like you can actually build something. We'll get to Langlois here in a second, but that's that's really all, all you got because you know in their farm system, you know maybe you're hoping Soderstrom comes up, I guess, but like it's not like they're going to be rushing him for any reason, and he's not exactly someone that it's like you're sprinting to the ballpark to go see. So yeah, man, it's gonna be it's gonna be pretty bleak. Tell me about Fujinami though, Jordan. You're high on this guy. I'm very high on Fujinami. Just a fascinating uh, kind of trajectory. Going to write a little bit about him at Fox this week. But this guy was one of the biggest, like, highest hype prospects in Japan uh, when he was coming up. And then it was just injuries and, like, borderline yips basically took him out of the majors uh, in NPB into the minors. He moved to the bullpen, but then he moved back to rotation. You watch this guy in spring and you understand like he's throwing 99 with the nasty splitter and nasty slider. Like this stuff is every bit as good. The command is all over the place. I believe he threw six hitless innings the other day while also walking five, which is like a perfect encapsulation of the kind of starter they're going to see. Um, seems like they're using a kind of a weird plan to only start him every six or seven days. Like they're clearly worried about the workload, but the talent here is undeniable. And I really am looking forward to tuning in to watch this guy pitch. Like he had Scott Boris as an agent for a reason. Like this guy is very talented. So I'm excited about Fujinami. Who is the all-star going to be? I think you and I are both leaning Seth Brown, who is the only above average hitter for sure on this roster. Really interesting story for Mm -hmm. Seth Brown. 19th round pick played at an NAIA school Lewis Clark State up in the up in the boonies in Idaho. Uh, and then like in the offseason was was working for the Idaho Department of Fish and Game. This guy was not someone you would expect to make an all-star team, but he can really, 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 really rake and is a good favorite to end up in Seattle at the Midsummer Classic. Huge power, um, like Seth Brown a lot. I'd still bet on any of these random relievers. Even Trevor May, who could kind of get back to form, loves Zach Jackson, honestly. I think Zach Jackson is the other one who I think could be, could, you know, have 15 Ks per line or whatever and end up as the random A's all-star. Like it was Paul Blackburn last year. So that kind of gives you a hint. I still would bet on a pitchers on bad teams over hitters. So we have made uh, many jokes about this team moving to Las Vegas, Nevada, 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 however people pronounce the state. What is the current situation? with the stadium in Oakland? And how do we feel about this team's long-term prospects in the Bay Area a year from now? Yeah, no, that's a that's that's the question. I have no idea how to answer that. I have no, unlike the other things, like I, I couldn't even really tell you. It feels like this is what it's looking like, like people making the, the major league jokes, like they're trying to tank it as bad as it can so that they have to move. I mean, that is almost what it looks like. It's more complicated than that because the stadium stadium deals are, are far more complicated than anything having to do with how good the team is. Um, but it is it is certainly related. And uh, yeah, I mean, but it's shitty because we know how passionate the Oakland A's fans are. I, and I know you say, oh, well, no one goes like, OK, would you go to, to watch this team? So it's it's a tough it's a tough spot. And I would still bet on them. Yeah. Ending up moving at some point, whether it's Vegas or, or somewhere else. But that's the big question is a year from now. Is it obvious that they're moving or there's still hope for a new stadium? Who knows? The lease at the Coliseum expires after 2024. It. The indication is that they will extend that a little bit longer. They can't extend that. But time is starting to run out on them getting a long-term home. Both Oakland and Vegas have expressed some hesitation about funding a stadium, which is totally understandable. The team should just pay for it. But they're obviously going to go wherever they get the best deal. 
So that'll kind of determine whether they stay or whether they leave. So just a really messy, ugly situation there. Yes. Barometer Bonds, Shea Langoliers. He is the main piece they got back for Sean Murphy in the trade with Atlanta. Heard really, really, really good things about him in Atlanta coming up the system. But is he enough to make people feel good about the Oakland A's? Just to remind you, they've made multiple trades. That's for Matt Olson. So oh my God, you're right. <laughs> not for not oh. for Sean Murphy. Um, but might as well have is, been. <laughs> you might as well have been. Uh, but the point is, is we talk about this with Adley. We talk. We'll talk about this with Cal Raleigh here and a little with the Mariners. Like having a franchise catcher is a huge building block for any team, no matter how bad they are. And so, if Shea Langliers can be that, then we at least are working from something. And he has shown flashes the ability to do that. So, I, I hope for their sake, for his sake, for all of it, for the purpose of the trade, that he can be good. Look right across the bay. San Francisco Giants won a World Series, three World Series with Buster Posey and eight other jabronis. Okay, and, can be done if you have a catcher. <laughs> Bit of an exaggeration. I thought you were going to say, look across the bay. I'd rather have Shea Langoliers than Joey Bart at this stage. So <laughs> that is uh, also maybe a, a, the one spot that you have an edge up over the Giants as it stands now. Uh, 59 and a half, Jake. That is a low number, and I will take the under. I will take the over. That is too low of a number. That is a disrespect. They have adults. Like, Jace Peterson's an adult. Aledmus Diaz is an adult. Aguilar's an adult. Like, they have real human Major League Baseball players. I don't think they will lose 59 games. They'll lose, or sorry, win 59. They'll win like 62 or 63. All right. Well, they are, again, projected for for higher than that. So, but (laughs) at the same time, the the big risk is if those adults are good, they're getting traded. So, uh, all right, let's move on to the Angels. Now, it is worth mentioning that there are, you can certainly find projection systems that have this Angels team as the second best team in this division. However, this is this uh, one case where, and it is not because I am a Mariners fan. It is because why would I give this team the benefit of the doubt? The team that has had, what, seven losing seasons in a row. The team that has the longest postseason drought tied with the Detroit Tigers. The team that has mismanaged having the two best players in the league for multiple seasons now. Why would I give them the benefit of the doubt? That is why we are talking about them before the Rangers and Mariners. Let's do a little bit of Angels discourse, actually, before we hop in. I have received critique of being an Angels hater from some people. I am not an Angels hater. I want this team to be good. It's in the best interests of baseball, okay? As someone who makes a living off of baseball content, the Angels being good is good for my bottom line, okay? If Shohei Otani and Mike Trout are playing 162 games a year and finishing one and two in the MVP, that's good for the game. That's good for my wallet. I want this team to be good, okay? That being said, it has been such an example of just total incompetence from the top down from Artie Moreno, not from Perry Manassian, the the GM necessarily. You have the two best players in the world and you haven't made the playoffs since I was a sophomore in high school. I can't give you the benefit of the doubt. That being said, and and every year we come into April and there's like a hint of optimism, like, oh, they were good in the offseason. Maybe this is the year. And I can't, I just can't get myself there. I'm closer than I've ever been to feeling optimistic about the Angels Maybe you will talk me out of it by the end of this preview. What happened in 2022? They were really good to start the year. Then they weren't. Joe Madden got fired. They had Phil Nevin be the manager, uh, the interim manager. They got into a huge brawl with the Angels. Trout missed some time. With the, Otani with the was incredible. 
but also Mariners. with the Angels. They, they were also brawl. It, it ended up hurting the Angels more than hurt the Mariners. Correct. And then they brought Phil Nevin back, and that's it. Their winter was interesting. It was interesting. Will it be good? That's one of our questions. Hunter Renfro in alongside Brandon Drury, Gio Urshela, Tyler Anderson, Carlos Estevez, and Matt Moore. Michael Lorenzen, the only notable name going out the other way. Starting lineup behind the dish. Catcher, Logan Ohapi, who has a chance to maybe immediately be one of the better hitting catchers in baseball. Crazy development story. High school kid from Long Island. Came over to the Angels in the Brandon Marsh trade last year. We're very high on him. Jared Walsh at first base, 2022. Sorry, 2021 All-Star for the Angels. Had a rough season a year ago. Can he bounce back? Brandon Drury at second. Shortstop looks to be David Fletcher. Maybe Luis Rangifo sometimes. Maybe Urshela sometimes. Certainly not a position they have locked down. Anthony Rendon and his tissue paper legs will be at third base. The outfield is Mike Trout in center. Taylor Ward, who was awesome last year, and Hunter Renfro in the corners with Shohei Otani. Heard of him? Designated hitting. The rotation will be Otani. Wait, he does both? Patrick Sandoval, Tyler Anderson, Reed Detmers, and Jose Suarez. Maybe some, a little bit of Jaime Berea in there, a little bit of Tucker Davidson, depending on how things go. And then the bullpen remains kind of the biggest question mark. Carlos Estevez, Jimmy Herget, friend of the show, Ryan Tapera, MVP award vote getter, and Matt Moore. Aaron Loop, too, who throws from first base. Jordan Schusterman, those are your 2023 Anaheim, Los Angeles, Angels, Anaheim. And my first question for you, is this team under the most pressure to win this year of any team in MLB? Yes, and some... You know, to some degree, this has been true for a while, but like, this is it, man. This is your last, your last chance before Otani leaves and, or before Otani probably leaves. <laughs> and, uh, like the, you know, clock, clock's ticking, time's up. There's no more, ah, well, they'll figure it out. Ah, it's too bad. They didn't figure it out this year. Well, at least we got Otani for $2 million and it's for six years. It's like, well, okay, but now it's, now it's over. So now's your chance. They did have a nice little off season, at least have built some amount of depth that, especially on the offensive side where you're starting to look at it and you say, okay, like this team can maybe sustain even another Rendon injury. Okay. Now you look at the rotation and for all the Angels pitching jokes we've been making and everyone has been making, they have developed some arms here in Sandoval and in Detmers, right? You know, of course, Otani at the top, but now you add maybe a stable guy like Anderson. But in general, like, it's far from a good thing. And, and yes, they've added enough to have their team projected to be decent, but not enough to have their team projected to be great. And so in order for that to happen, so many things have to go right. And that is why the pressure is on. And their manager is someone who it didn't seem like would be the manager when we thought Artie Moreno was going to be selling the team. Phil Nevin is a huge reason for my skepticism about this team this season. I understand we don't really know how much of an influence managers have on a team. I totally get that. Nevin became the manager because Joe Madden left and he was the bench coach and was the most qualified guy to take that role. Nevin was essentially... Uh, I'll say abrasive and brash his way out of the New York Yankees coaching staff. He is not someone who has a reputation for keeping his emotions under control. He got a huge suspension after the Mariners Angels brawl for having his 
basically admitting that he had guys throw at the other team. He is not necessarily an experienced manager. If Buck Showalter was the manager of the 2023 Angels, like I would feel super good about them. I am very skeptical that Phil Nevin can keep this ship afloat all season because of the adversity that they will be dealing with all year. Because let's face it, everyone on this team in this franchise knows that this is it. Mm -hmm. And I just don't know if this is the right guy to steer the ship. Yes. Now, as for like, what does it take? What what would Otani even, what what would have to happen for Otani to stay? I can only see one scenario for this happening, very specifically, non-injury related. Okay, so we'll move that aside. They are the best team in baseball in April and May and like literally have to be the best team, like so clearly the best team in baseball and already offers him an extension for like $500 million. Like that is the only way. I don't see any way he gets to free agency and returns. I don't see any way. Like it has to be that good. If they are decent and in the fringe playoff picture, no chance. Like the, he is going to play it out and he's going to get there anyway. I still think it's a tiny likelihood anyway. And that's how what everyone will tell you if you talk to anyone in baseball. But I think that is the only, if we're painting a picture, it has to be that. They have to be the best team in baseball for longer than whatever the two weeks it was last year. And uh, and everything has to be looking great. And then he has to be offered an extension that is so over the top that it just is impossible to turn down. And that's why there's so much pressure is that this entire organization could look so different next year. Mm-hmm. Nevin, I believe, is only on a one-year deal. Perry Manassi in the GM, if they don't win this year, he's got a little bit of a hot seat. Artie Moreno might just change his mind and want to sell the team. Mm-hmm. Otani won't be here. And that then brings up the question of, will Trout ask out? That feels like a question for next year's preview. Let's get to the barometer bonds, which is Anthony Rendon. He was signed after the 2019 season when he helped the Nats win the World Series as one of the best players in baseball. Short in 2020 season, he was freaking awesome. I think he finished top 10 in the MVP at like a 150-something OPS plus in a short sample. He was incredible. Last two years, he's played like six games and has been hurt and not that great when he has been playing. No one on this team is more important because Trout and Otani give an insane floor, right? But Trout, Otani, Rendon, all being like six-win players, seven-win players and higher, makes it so that the rest of the team really needs to suck in order <laughs> to suck which again like we've seen versions of that i would say that rendon's interesting because obviously in terms of his injury track record 58 games in 21 47 games a year ago he was pretty like he had a lot of injury questions dating back to college and so that's why the the trust there is is not there and that's why the kinds of injuries he's having are clearly big problems in terms of durability at the same time, like he actually was really durable for a five-year stretch there, even in playing 52 games in 2020. And so maybe there's a way to get back to that. Obviously, you know, he's going to be 33 this year. It's not that old, but it's it's just the combination of how scared people were of the medical early in his career with what the issues he's dealing with now is why we don't trust it. But to your point, when he was healthy, he's been amazing. He's, he's one of the best hitters in the league. So he just raises the ceiling and the floor of this team so much that he has to be the answer here. Um, I don't totally trust it, but uh, but yeah, man, that would be that would be good. That would be nice for them <laughs> if Anthony Rendon could be awesome because that was a hell of a contract. The over-under here is 81 and a half for the Angels. I'm going to take the over. Mm-hmm. 
I think they will be in the mix for the wild card. One of the two AL, sorry, one of the three AL wild card spots is almost guaranteed to be either the Yankees or the Blue Jays. I feel pretty good about that, right? Yep. To me, that means you have the three other AL East teams that are all going to maybe be in the mix: Cleveland, Chicago, Seattle, Anaheim, well, Minnesota. But you have Minnesota. Yeah, I have Minnesota winning the division. Whatever. But whatever. Like One there, of those there teams, is yeah. a path here. Like there, there are not juggernauts at this. It's a very soft group of teams here, where like the Orioles could win the third wild card spot, or they could win seventy three games. Right. And I think that's the case with a lot of teams and the case with the Angels. I think they'll be in the mix. I'm not quite ready to say whether or not I believe that they'll make it, but I will take the over on 81 and a half. I'll take the over too, but I don't. Yeah, I think I think I, I understand what you're saying, that those teams in the mix are not especially intimidating, but it's still a lot of teams that you have to jump. So um, I will take the over and I will still have them. Missing the postseason, but again, like let's just have a winning season with Mike Trout and Shohei Otani. That would be sweet. Shohei Otani literally never been on a winning team except for the one that just ran through the WBC. We are going to take a quick break, and when we return, we will be welcoming Kennedy Landry of MLB.com to talk about the Texas Rangers. Hey, everybody, I'm James Hinchcliffe. And I'm Alexander Rossi, and we're the hosts of Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. As two friends who have a collective 18 years of experience driving an IndyCar and one season of experience on Dancing with the Stars, we know what it takes to be successful on and off the track or dance floor. That's why each week we will give you a peek behind the front curtain and tell you what life is really like for professional IndyCar drivers and second place finishers on dancing television shows. Download Off Track with Hinch and Rossi on Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Baseball Barbercast. Our AL West preview rolls on. We are very excited to be joined by the Rangers beat writer for MLB.com. It is Kennedy Landry making her triumphant Barbiecast debut, I believe. Yes. Oh, my God. This is a big day. Oh, it is a big day. Uh, Kennedy, you're one of our favorites, and we are very excited to talk Rangers with you. Um, let's start uh, with a simple question. What happened with this team last year? Because they weren't very good. No, not a lot of good happened with this team last year. Um, obviously, the signings of Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon had sky-high expectations, and I don't know why, because that was the only good thing about the team going into it. Um, and it basically turned out exactly like you would expect. Uh, 94 losses, the manager was fired, the longest-tenured front office member and John Daniels was fired uh, midway through the season, and they limped through half of August and September to the finish line uh, with the third base coach, Tony Beasley, carrying the interim manager role for the rest of the season. So it was uh, it was a rough, long, long season. Uh, my second year on the beat, didn't lose 100 games on the second year, so I'll take that. But yeah, like you said, not like I said, not a lot of good things happened for this team last year. But what's weird about it when you look back is that like there were some individual performances that went really well. Like Jonah Heim is a legitimate big league catcher. Nathaniel Lowe was a top 20 hitter in the world. Like Martin Perez was spectacular. And yet they still had that disastrous season that you just outlined. And a lot of that has to do with their horrible record in one run, one run games that we'll get to. But like it wasn't a total disaster, right? 
No, no, you're right. It wasn't a total disaster. Like you pointed out those few things. I mean, I think Adolis Garcia, you know, cemented himself as like a quality big league outfielder. Um, you know, those two guys up the middle had fairly good seasons, even though like Corey Seager had the worst offensive stats of his career, yet still hit a career high in home runs. And Marcus Simeon forgot how to play baseball for a month and a half and then still uh, had the highest B war on the team and still had a 25-25 season, like, if things would have, a few things would have fallen their way, like, they could have been a decent team. Right. They needed, again, there was no depth. There was no level. Like, everything that was bad was so bad that the stuff that went well. Semyon leading the team in war with the 5.7 B war. I mean, he was literally the worst hitter in the league for, not just relative to him. Like, he was the worst hitter in the league for the first six weeks. And for him to bounce back to that degree shows you how honestly decent of a season he he had him and Seager. All right, Jake, let's recap the winner quickly before we get into this season. So, a lot of action once again. I know. Uh, everyone was, year, everyone was talking better. about everyone was talking about the Rangers. Mm-hmm. Kevin Ploiecki out the door, <laughs> making headlines. Cole Calhoun gone as well. Matt Moore, who was actually sneaky spectacular out of the pen for them, was great. They've retained Martin Perez with a qualifying offer. On the way in, a brand new rotation. They went to the store, they swiped the Amex, and they said, one rotation, please. And that is Nathan Eovaldi, who, Jordan, you know, is one of my favorites. Andrew Heaney, the volatile left-handed king. And, of course, Jacob deGrom, the big money signing coming over from the Mets. He'll throw the greatest 30 innings you'll ever see. Also added Robbie Grossman and... Clint Frazier, Jackson Frazier, Frazier Jackson. It changes every day. Let's run through the lineup very quickly so people understand who is on this baseball team. Behind the plate is the aforementioned Jonah Heim. Nathaniel Lowe at first. Seager at short. Semyon at second. Josh Young, finally healthy, should start the year at third base. Center field, I believe, will be mostly Leotis Tavares, but he's going to start the year on the IL, correct? Uh, possibly. I okay. they think he'll be ready for the second series of the season, so they Got may it. not actually IL him, but Understood. not opening day itself. That's why you talk to the reporters, friends and listeners. Uh, but until then, it looks like it'll be Bubba Thompson, an old friend of Jordan and mine, Robbie Grossman in left, Adolis Garcia in right, and Brad Miller at DH. The rotation, woo! DeGrom, Martin Perez, John Gray, Nate Ivaldi, Nasty Nate, and Andrew Heaney. And then the bullpen, which is the up and down Jose Leclerc, the weirdly dominant Brock Burke, and uh, some other guys. All right, let's move on to our three big questions. Let's begin with the big one, the big the big man himself, named opening day starter. What a shock! Uh, just a little while ago, Jacob Degrom, if he can stay intact for the next week, will indeed be throwing the first pitch. <laughs> of the Rangers season. Now, I'm sure you are, even though you've only been covering Jacob DeGrom for a few months, I'm sure you are probably already tired of those kind of references and jokes. But I'm curious, just from a Frisian standpoint, we saw them spend all this money last winter on Seager and Semyon. What is the differences or similarities between the reaction to signing DeGrom specifically compared to signing someone like Seager and Semyon? Uh, well, Seager and Simeon are very good baseball players. Uh, we see it every day. I mean, Corey Seager won NLCS MVP, World Series MVP, and the very stadium that the Rangers play in, that's obvious. But Jacob DeGrom, when he is pitching, is the 
most dominant pitcher of this generation and he's the most best pitcher in the universe like there's no doubt about that and I think that's pretty clear when you look at the um when you look at your reaction to the signings and just looking back at the Rangers history of pitching and pitching development and all of those things like I mean Nolan Ryan obviously the best pitcher in Rangers history but after that you have Fergie Jenkins whose best years were not with the Rangers anyway and then what do you have so just looking at the Rangers history of pitching and how they've never really had a true ace in maybe my lifetime uh, that they can look to um, Jacob deGrom signs and it's it's a new era it feels like they just kind of threw a bunch of money at it as we see uh, Ray Davis's all money and and it worked they got him here and it's uh, expectations are just as high as they should be with a guy of that caliber Jordan do you know who the highest war pitcher in Rangers history is well, I was going to say you Darvish probably deserves a mention as well there, um, sure. certainly before uh, he had some injuries. So I think he he would be the other one that comes to mind. But other than that, I I don't I have no idea. Charlie Huff. You got like Chan Ho Park, Kevin wow. Millwood. It's CJ Wilson. <laughs> like yeah, they made yeah. it to back to back World Series without a dominant staff. I'm curious from like a vibes perspective, because mm-hmm. being around the Mets last year, I picked up that DeGrom is really good. But he is not Scherzer or Verlander or Granky in terms of like passing the knowledge on and setting a vibe, right? He is beat bop, boop bop, strike guys out. <laughs> I'm curious, like, is especially next to Eovaldi, who is kind of more that guy, how has this new rotation taken shape as a unit? Yeah, I think that's a good point is that I think Nathan Uvalde is so Nathan Uvalde makes up for all of the words that Jacob deGrom doesn't say to us, I will say. Uh, you you ask the simplest question to Nathan Uvalde and he goes on for two yeah. minutes and you're like, beautiful, there's a quote in there somewhere I can write. Um, and, and, you know, deGrom is a professional. He gives us what he needs and he talks. But um, I think but I think what we get from deGrom is very different than what DeGrom gives in the clubhouse and okay. what he gives to a lot of the young starters in that clubhouse. I mean, Jack Leiter, obviously the most prominent uh, pros- pitching prospect in the farm system right now, despite his struggles last year, uh, has gone on record, like mentioning like, yes, these guys, like both Nathan and Jacob have been open and helpful with talking to them, just whether it's about pitching or elsewhere. And I think DeGrom is kind of baseball robotic in ways, but I don't think that really extends to the clubhouse in the way that maybe it Mm. comes across. I also think that, you know, it's not, they're not as old as the Mets, obviously, but it is a veteran staff. I mean, when you buy a veteran staff, it's not like, not that Andrew Heaney and John Gray maybe can't, you know, learn something from DeGrom anyway, but it is not like, you know, you mentioned lighter and I'm sure Rangers fans hope to maybe see him in the big leagues at some point this season. But those kind of conversations aren't necessarily going to be happening throughout the year. But in spring training, in time like spring training, if there is value in having someone like DeGrom around to talk to the, that next wave that maybe not be making 30 starts this year, but can be important. So where – one more question about the rotation. Where are we at with Jacob and Nathan versus Jake and Nate? Um, I call them by their government names because I don't know them like that. Um, okay. 
So I don't I don't know what fans are doing. I don't know what their friends are doing. I don't know what the clubhouse is doing, but I will call you by the name your mother gave you. So I believe you call me Jake. I'm Jake. I'm just saying. <laughs> I, believe- I mean, would you would you like me to call you Jacob? No. Jacob? I can't. No, no, no. He's nope. he's yeah, don't don't get it confused. But I'm not a substitute teacher. I remember Jake. We had Jake Degrom for like just his rookie year, um, and then it was Jacob. But Nathan and Nate, I feel like, has fluctuated a lot over his career and over his many surgeries. Let's let's flip forward here because one of the new faces around Rangers world is Bruce Bochy. The new manager. We have five new full-time managers in baseball this season. John Schneider in Toronto kind of doesn't count. Then there are three totally like anonymous bench coaches who were with Cleveland or Tampa or wherever. And then there's future Hall of Famer, 67-year-old Bruce Bochy, helming the Rangers. Very simple question. Why did he come back? He, we asked him that question at the introductory press conference, and he just said, I, I missed the game. Uh, and sure, you can say that all you want, but he also said, I wouldn't have come back if it wasn't the right opportunity. So for some reason, he looked at the Texas Rangers and said, you know, this was the right opportunity. Uh, Chris Young flew out to Nashville in October and you know, pretty much made him this big pitch that apparently worked of, you know, a, an up and coming farm system and all of them, again, Ray Davis's old money that we had to spend and, Bruce Boshi looked at it and said, all right, you've got a you've got a shortstop that I like and a, a clubhouse leader in Marcus Simeon. And you've got a first baseman who can hit 30 home runs and you're going to sign an ace for me and all of these things. And I mean, it, it worked. And he said he still wants to compete. He still wants to win more. Like He's not coming here for a rebuild like they're out of the rebuild and they or they want to be out of the rebuild. This has to be coming out of the rebuild. So, I mean. Again, I don't know what that whatever Chris Young said worked, and it, it's been working with free agents. Like whatever whatever sales pitch he's getting is working with all of these people. But Bochi is the difference because last year, even signing Semyon and Seeger, if you looked at the team, it was like there's no way that this is actually a roster that's ready to compete. And and it was sure, like the you meme can say of, that this is it was like the know, meme of the Bugatti in the crappy garage. <laughs> Right. Yes. So that that's what it was last year. And there's still elements of that going into this season where you're like, I still don't believe that they are really serious, even though they are clearly spending the money and and their actions are speaking that they that they mean that they can win. But <laughs> this is maybe a good transition into the last question, which is related to Bochi, which is that last year they were historically terrible in one run games. Now, one run games is something that is often attributed to two things in tandem. The manager and the bullpen. And that was clearly both a huge weakness last year, except for Matt Moore and Brock Burke, who were amazing, which is strange. But the point is, is that what about this this roster now that does no, no longer has Matt Moore, but now has Bruce Bochy, makes you think that that can be even... At, listen, you, it's almost mathematically impossible to be as bad as you were last year. At the same time, why should I really believe that's going to get fixed, or are we just counting on regression? I mean, again, I, I I think the main thing is that, yes, it's mathematically impossible to be that bad in run-run games again. Um, and just looking at the bullpen, the starters weren't good last year. Outside of Martin Perez, starters were not going seven, eight innings. Martin Perez threw a complete game shutout against the Houston Astros. Like, Mar- he was the only pitcher, like, that was doing anything. 
So I think just by nature of the rotation being better, the bullpen just is better because they have less stress. Uh, And Jose LeClerc and Jonathan Hernandez both coming off Tommy John last year, they were both kind of up and down. LeClerc also has been a little bit up and down this uh, spring, but Hernandez has looked amazing. Uh, Again, Brock Burke, you can only hope he is anywhere close to as good as he was last year. And even, I mean, I will go on record by saying two seasons covering Chris Woodward, I am still not sure if he was a good manager or not. Because, I mean, looking at the rosters that he had, none. I don't think any of us can sit here and say, yes, this was all his fault. Obviously, the 1-1 record thing is, like, um, an issue. But I don't even think a lot of that was, like, his fault. Some, some of it is honestly attributed to bad luck. And I know we can't totally. sit here and say, like, bad, you lost because you were unlucky. But that <laughs> type of, like... Again, mathematically, it just doesn't make sense to right. me. And I'm not a mad person, but... <laughs> you so, can't fire bad luck, though. That's the problem, right? There's no well, accountability no, no, no. Chris, for bad luck. Chris Woodward, Chris Woodward wasn't fired because of the record in one-run games. He was right. fired for a plethora of things down the line and other yeah. things that yeah. the front office felt like were not in the way they needed to be. And also, if you feel like you can get an, a notable improvement regardless of how it had been going and you think you could go out and get someone like Bruce Bochy, who is clearly well-respected and clearly people still believe in, then you're probably going to do that anyway. The last thing on the one-run games thing I want to say is like, it's funny because when you think one-run games and the teams that are good at one-run games, it's like, oh, uh, we can hold on to a close lead, right? Maybe we're not scoring a lot, of, like, but we have a really good bullpen, we call it a close lead. What you're describing is the starting pitching was so bad besides Martin Perez, that you were actually down in most of the games anyway, and then you were coming back and then coming up short by one run <laughs> over and over in the bullpen. Not, I mean, that's what it felt like. <laughs> and the bullpen was like keeping it close from innings four to eight in a way that you maybe didn't expect, but it was too late because your starter had already given up six. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, yes. I mean, that was even the thing about last year as compared to 2021 is that 2021, I came to the ballpark and I was like, I mean... Gear it's up for happening. another loss, ladies yeah. and gents. Like yep. Yep. in in twenty twenty two, you came in like yes, they lost ninety four games, but I did feel like there was a little bit of hope every time I came to the yeah. ballpark. Yeah. Um, and uh, that often ended in another run one loss. But again, Bruce Boshi, I think again credit to Chris Woodward, but Bruce Boshi being in there, it feels like an adult is in this room. Like this is a guy that people respect and look up to, and I mean he's a he's a Hall of Famer. He delayed his entrance into the hall of fame to come and manage the, uh, the Texas Rangers, which again, power to you there. But. <laughs> Man did not take his ass off of the beach chair to lose ball games. Okay. So these Rangers but. better win for Bochy's vacation sake. Let's move on to our barometer bonds, which player on this team, their uh, failure or success will most uh, mirror this team's success or failure this season. Mm. I feel like it's it's hard not to say Jacob deGrom like I I don't want to say the entire season is going to hinge on Jacob deGrom's health it does it hinge on the rotation's health but I think if Jacob deGrom makes 30 healthy starts then if he makes 25 healthy starts like that is uh that goes miles and miles ahead of what he's done in the last few years and you know what can bring the Rangers you know, ahead. I don't think they're going to catch the Houston Astros. I don't think anybody in baseball is really going to catch the Houston Astros right now. But you know, in a division with with the you know Mariners who won ninety games last year, and then Shohei Otani and Mike Trout and the Oakland A's, sure, um, 
that <laughs> I think Jacob DeGrom can be a game changer in keeping you into the wild card race. Also, like, just he's not the only player you say, oh, if he's healthy, but it really is a binary thing. Like, if he's on the mound, he will be one of the best pitchers in the world. So it's not like there are some players where it's like, oh, like even Eovaldi, right? Because Eovaldi, we've seen be awesome, but also not be awesome when he has been sort of hurt. And so you're, that's a health bet that it's like, okay, even if he is on the mound, you don't know exactly what you're getting. Whereas with DeGrom, it's like either he's out there and he's amazing or he's not pitching. And so right. that is, I think, a totally uh, reasonable answer. Uh, 81 and a half is the over-under which is obviously a huge jump from where they were last year. Doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be in the postseason. What do you think about uh, what do you think about this? When I was on Sarah Lang's and Mandy Bell's podcast, I said 82 and 80 was my final prediction. So like right over that 81 and okay. a half. Mm-hmm. I think that's fair. Jake, where are you at on 81 and a half? I will go ahead and take the under and I will put it in my pocket for later. I will take the over. Also, I think maybe even more than 82 and 80, but not much more than that. <laughs> I do like adding, adding 20 wins is that's what <laughs> I'm know. saying. That's I'm a adding, lot of wins. It, I know. And that's but that's what that's what makes the Rangers so fascinating is because to go from a team that is that was so that the lost 94 to has this high expectations for themselves in, in a season is so uncommon. That is super right. duper rare. And so that's what that's what makes the situation so bizarre. Uh, that's the Rangers. But Kennedy, we have to at least give you the opportunity because you are a supporter of this podcast and because you listened to our conversation that we had several weeks back about which baseball players would potentially be best cast as either contestants on The Bachelor or a, The Bachelor himself. We had offered out some suggestions, but it sounds like you, as a more of an expert of reality television, maybe have some other thoughts about this uh, that we wanted to give you the platform to share, because it seems like something you thought about before. I do want to be clear that y'all made this point on the podcast where I wasn't initially thinking about people who were in relationships. Like, I didn't think about, oh, are they in a relationship when I thought of them? So all of my thoughts right off were like, Dansby, obviously. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Very, very notable girlfriend. Like Julio is like far and away, like number one. Right. Um, Jeremy Pena is, Mm. I think, like top notch. Like he would be phenomenal as The Bachelor. I agree. He's perfect. He's like he's like the perfect like household, like boy next door. Like parents would love him. Middle America would love him. Like all of that. He went to Maine. He's physically <laughs> built for Love Island. Like his arms yes. belong Bilingual, in the villa. Obviously. I mean, you have it all. I totally agree. I think we mentioned him on that time, but no, he's he is so perfect. He had, and of course, he we kind of started to see that rise for him in uh, where he's like doing some late night shows too after they win the World Series, and he's like very. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you're right. I think he probably is the objective answer if we are focused on people who, as far as we know, are not in relationships. Yes, but I do think Fernando Tatis Jr. by far causes the most drama in the villa, just coming in and stirring, like, comes in as a bombshell and, like, stirs things up. Like, it'd be beautiful. It'd be perfect, perfect amount of drama for for late night Love Island. I would love it. He drives up on his motorcycle. It it falls (laughs) to the side. That's true, because he's also better, right, from a contested standpoint versus The Bachelor. Whereas, like... Jerry Pena is the perfect actual bachelor, but you could come up with some more chaotic answers for, you know, 
first out of the limo, stuff like that, that would be right. delivering night one, like this guy is here to play. Um, like so, what you got, you guys said Bader, right? I think mm-hmm. like he comes in and he's just like, I'm hot shit. Uh, can I say that? Um, <laughs> you like, can't hear. Got, yeah. Okay, you you I, tell me sorry. if you can say that. <laughs> Like, yeah, like he comes in like, I'm hot shit. Like, I, this is what's happening. Like, totally. he's pulling like big Bachelor villain vibes. Yes. Yes. Who on the Rangers, and then we'll let you go, who on the Rangers would be the worst contestant? <laughs> and best. This? I guess we'll, you know, let's, 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 let's fold this back into the team you cover. Let's see. I, I, we actually had this conversation recently in the media room, and I just said Taylor Hearn would not be a good contestant on The Bachelor because I just think he's too wholesome like i just don't think he's built for reality tv life he'd be good on he'd be good on he'd be perfect for farmer once a wife (laughs) (laughs) no you're right we kept seeing those commercials during the wbc yeah Yeah, i almost i wanted to watch it i I watched milk manor i put myself through that so (laughs) i I would this is why we're bringing this up with you i mean you are a connoisseur of horrific television and i mean that with love and appreciation so um but that's a good one yeah, I mean, if no the, one on this the, team is young enough to be on MILF Manor, though, <laughs> except for maybe Ezekiel Duran. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So he's, there's, the, he's the only person on the team younger than me. So oh, there, there you go. go. That's a good that's a good shout there. So yes, uh we'll we'll leave it on we'll leave it on that note. Um you can uh read all of Kennedy's fantastic work at MLB.com. Um we appreciate the time. Uh, I hope that you are indeed watching uh, Jacob deGrom and not like emergency Cole Reagan start on opening day <laughs> next week. Um, but uh, Kenny Landry, thank you so much for the time. This was great. Thank you all so much. Negro Leagues Baseball Museum President Bob Kendrick hosts the SiriusXM original podcast, Black Diamonds. The Negro Leagues didn't care what color you were and they didn't care what gender you were. Can you play? Hear stories of the leagues and legends that shaped sport, culture, and society. That's why the museum is so important. It's like, we are never going to forget you. Episodes of the award-winning Black Diamonds are now available wherever you get your podcasts. We're not talking about balls and strikes. We're talking about your life. And we're back here on Baseball Barbacast. Jake Mintz, Jordan Schusterman shouts out. And thank you to Kennedy Landry for explaining the New York Texas Rangers to us. Let's now move on to the Seattle Marineros, the favorite team of the guy on this podcast with glasses, which listeners may not know because it is indeed a podcast. The Seattle Mariners projected for 85 wins this upcoming season. Jordan, what happened in 2022? It was pretty sweet, man. <laughs> they they did it. They they did the thing where they went. They kept playing after the season ended. It was pretty sweet. Um, Kyle Raleigh hit a home run. Everyone went crazy, including me, who was lucky enough to be there. They went to the postseason. They won two incredible games against the Blue Jays, and then had the most impressive uh, getting swept in postseason history against the Houston Astros. Uh, which is how most seasons in the American League end. And so no surprise there. But 90 wins. Julio Rodriguez has arrived. Uh, their pitching's very good. And uh, yeah, good vibes going into 2023. Tell me about their winter, because I'm sure you followed it. 
Yeah, I, I saw I saw some of the moves uh, for sure. Uh, in comes Teoscar Hernandez. They, a lot of this happened very early. Jerry was not exactly waiting around. Uh, a lot of this got done in November. Trading for Colton Wong, trading for Teoscar Hernandez. Uh, eventually, they signed some veterans like AJ Pollock, Tommy Lastella. Out goes Adam Frazier and Carlos Santana in free agency, as well as one of the faces of the team in recent years, Mitch Haniger. Of course, they traded Eric Swanson and Jesse Winker and Abraham Toro in those trades as well. What does this team look like going into the year? Behind the dish, big dumper himself, Cal Raleigh at first base. It will be Ty France. He of the final four-bound San Diego State Aztec <laughs> Uh, athletics program, uh, second base, Colton Wong, shortstop, J.P. Crawford, third base, Eugenio Suarez. In left field, Will looks like it will be Mr. Jared Kalnick, center field, Julio Rodriguez, he's pretty good. Right field, Teoscar Hernandez, the big winter addition. Rotation, oh boy, this is some, these are some nice little pitchers here. Luis Castillo making his full season Mariners debut. He will be starting on opening day, followed by Logan Gilbert. Robbie Ray, Marco Gonzalez still in there, and George Kirby, who should have been listed second. But it sounds like they're going to have him be in the fifth spot just because of the way the opening of the season starts. Bullpen, one of the best in baseball, led by Paul Seawald, Andres Munoz, and Diego Castillo and his fidgeting, which will have to be tampered down uh, for the pitch clock, <laughs> as well as uh, one of the breakout stars of last year, Matt Brash. Before we begin with the questions, I just want to say one quick thing about Luis Castillo. Mm-hmm. This guy rules. This is wow. just the type of pitcher that I would follow into battle. He is just so good. The numbers are very good, but the experience of watching Luis Castillo, the way he goes about pitching is just the level of confidence that you have in any given start for him to not suck is so high. Like if I needed a starter to throw Eight innings under four runs. I think I might pick Luis Castillo. <laughs> right. He is. Um, yeah. Nope. Everything you said, I don't have to really repeat it. And, and I, I will think that, you know, we're going to get to our, our big questions here in a second. But I do think that him being on the team for a full season is an underrated part of why there should be a lot of optimism for this team. And and we can talk about, you know, let, let's just start with with the offseason first. Okay. As our first big question. Was this a bad offseason? Now, I know we talk about the Orioles and the kind of the disappointment of, of how little they did coming into this year uh, after the, the big breakout year that they had. Now, the Mariners obviously had a better year than the Orioles and had a more complete roster, but that was also all the reason to go out and spend like crazy. And the, the, the frugalness of this ownership group and the willingness to actually jump in and spend, and yes, they have spent legitimate money on big-time extensions for Castillo, for Crawford, and of course for Julio, but not adding in free agency was a disappointing thing. At the same time, to say they didn't get better is just wrong. And to say, oh, what's the difference between Hanniger and Teoscar Hernandez? I love Mitch Hanniger. He's one of my fa- one of the most important players in my Mariners fandom for obvious reasons. But Teoscar Hernandez is a lock for 30 bucks. Like he's just, you're penciling in immense power production that you cannot do with Mitch, let alone Colton Wong over Adam Frazier, which I think is also a significant upgrade when you consider how much better of a hitter Colton Wong has been over the last few seasons. So I do think they got better, but there is still versions of the season where you're like, they did not do enough as much as they should have. And we're going to find out. If John Middleton was the owner of the Mariners, they would have signed Trey Turner, which is maybe a <laughs> yes. dumb way to say that. Yeah. But like, no, that's yeah, what huh? they would have done. Like, Wong, yeah. 10 yeah. million. Mm-hmm. Hernandez, 14 million in mm-hmm. ARB this year. That's mm-hmm. 24. What did Turner get? 30 a year? 
Yeah. That's no, exactly. Million. There's, but there's, obviously there's the, you know, the money over time and the commitment. Mm-hmm. I get all that. I would be frustrated as a Mariners fan there too, because if you add that one stable, long-term, no shit piece, you're all in. Because the only offensive guy on this team that is a all-star, like a bankable all-star, no shade to Ty France. Like mm-hmm. Ty France is a great hitter. But he's not a star in the way that Julio Rodriguez is a star. And when you look at the other top teams in the American League, they have multiple, multiple. Yep. legitimate all-star bats, right? Yep. Even like Cleveland yep. and eh, not really Minnesota. Oh, you know, Minnesota with Buxton and Correa, right? Sure. Yeah. The Mariners do not have that. And maybe mm-hmm. I'm under. I know maybe I'm underselling Teoscar and Ty France here, and and Suarez was outstanding last season. Suarez, but yeah. Suarez was great, but if you're talking about the next four years, five years, totally. the Mariners don't have that, and so I think that criticism totally. is fair. But I also agree with you that like Teoscar Hernandez is awesome. He's yeah. a, a freaking great hitter, and will be a huge addition to this to this lineup. Yeah, let's pivot to Julio, mm-hmm. who we do not doubt. We bow down at the shrine of Julio Rodriguez. We done knew we he is the real deal and will always be the real deal. What does he need to do to win the MVP? I mean, he already comes into the season with, I believe, the fourth best odds behind Otani, Trout, and Judge. So, like, everyone's already on board. Um, <laughs> it is not there is you will not be sneaking up on anybody. Um, and I think it's it's kind of simple. I mean, he you know we'll have to probably cut down on the strikeouts a little bit and. And probably, you know, we'll see how much he runs this year. He was really running a lot less in the, in the second half, but clearly has the speed to do so. You know, dealt with some injuries in the second half there too. Uh, but it's just about the Mariners winning the division. I think it's honestly that simple. I think if he is leading this team, not just back to the postseason, but a, but past the Astros, if he can sing, almost single-handedly do that, it's something that feels impossible still at this stage. I think that that narrative-wise, that's basically what needs to happen because I I don't see how that like the production is going to be there, and so I think it's going to be just as much about how good the the Mariners are as a whole. There's also looking at the rest of the top ten, right? Judge and Otani could <laughs> Judge is has to take a step back, mm-hmm. maybe not below what Julio will do, but he has to take a step back. Otani wins the Cy Young, or sorry, wins the MVP if he's healthy. That's just what it is. So he needs to miss a little bit of time or underwhelm for anybody else to win that award. That's just where we're at right now. Uh, or someone has to hit 62 home runs. And then that second group, Jordan, Jose Ramirez, Altuve, I'm like, oh, Julio could easily jump that group if he mm-hmm. cuts down his strikeout rate even a little bit and walks even a little bit more. I mean, he was a 21-year-old who had an 853 OPS playing an elite center field. Yeah, and and again, you, we have to consider when you think about Julio's numbers, um, he was terrible for April. And part of that was horrible luck. The umpires were screwing him over and over and over. Um, and I don't talk about umpires screwing people, but it was, it was just an absolute fact that he was getting screwed over and over and over. From May 1st on, he was fifth in baseball in WRC+, behind Judge Goldschmidt, Jordan, and Altuve. So he, it was like, you know, throwing out his first month and which was his first month in the big leagues as a 21 year old. And he's already a top five hitter. So it's, it's not hard to imagine him just immediately being MVP level. Again, that is why the hype is warranted. Not to mention the fact that he is the coolest person of all time. Uh, we love Julio, but he cannot do it on his own. Um, I would say, uh, let's, uh, let's talk about the pitching here a little bit. I think my last biggest question about the Mariners is, how does the back of the rotation shake out? We love Castillo. We're going to talk about Robbie Ray in a second, but 
Kirby and Gilbert, people buying to different degrees. Obviously, they're younger guys. They're, they're workhorses. But that that back part with Flexen, Marco, is, is something that I think a lot of Mariners fans thought would be resolved before opening day. And maybe there is still a trade in the next couple of days, whatever. Um, Flexen seemed like the odd guy out, even though he was way better than Marco last year, just because of his contract and because of his value trade-wise. They're both still on the team. I don't mind keeping them both around from the standpoint of they were very healthy on the mound last year. And as we've seen with some other teams, keeping that depth around is not a bad idea. And I have to imagine they have to be considering that as well. But it's also because of the guys coming up behind them, like Bryce Miller, like Taylor Dollard, like Emerson Hancock. But I think a lot of Mariners fans, as much as they love Marco and one of the, of course, one of the longest tenured you know, players on the team, the standard is just higher now, right? Like they, the Mariners fans have now seen what it looks like to have awesome pitchers on the mound throwing 98 miles an hour. And so now it's like, we don't want to watch Marco anymore. I appreciate him. And I think he still can be a valuable five starter, but I'm curious if that's actually still true at the end of the season. Let's talk about Robbie Ray, who was our barometer bonds. Reminder, he won the Cy Young. He won the Cy Young in 2021. And then the Mariners gave him a lot of money. And he had one of the weirder seasons in recent memory. Really good in the first half, struggled down the stretch to the point that he was coming out of the bullpen in October and gave up the tank of the year to Jordan Alvarez in that game against the Astros. Where are we at with Robbie Ray right now, Jordan? Yeah, I, I'm really optimistic about him. I mean, he was amazing in the middle of the year. He, had, he But up and down, his month splits were all over the place. And yes, no one trusted him to start, but it also didn't make any sense for him to be coming out of the bullpen. So just a crazy way to end the season for him. At the same time, with a full regular spring, his velo was down for the first couple months last year. He's throwing 97 in spring right now. He looks fantastic. And like you said, while he has fluctuated like crazy over the course of his career, which is why he's perfect for the barometer bonds, the ceiling here is still outstanding. He still gave them a bunch of bulk last year. And I think he can elevate this rotation even more than just what Kirby and, and Gilbert can become, let alone Castillo. So I'm very, very bullish on Robbie Ray this year. I think he's going to be really good. Over under 86 and a half. Uh, I'll go over again, even all these things to go right. I still think Houston is clearly ahead of them as we're about to talk about. But um, yeah, I mean, 90 wins last year. I do think they got better. I'll I'll take the over. I'm going to take the under, Jordan. And I'm sorry about that. It's nothing personal against you. I have doubts about the bottom half of this lineup. Mm -hmm. And I think they overperformed a little bit last year. And I think the rest of the division and the American League as a whole is going to be better. So I will take the under on the Mariners at 86 and a half. Let's so are you move seeing, on. well, I'm curious, do you, do you have them second or third or like with the Angels? Yeah, right around where the Angels are at. Okay, yeah. so then let's I, see how far ahead the Houston Astros will be uh, as we get to Houston here. Um, probably their their lightest projection we've seen for them in some time. Of course, some of that is the, the Jose Altuve injury, but 89 wins for them. Uh, what, did, what did the Astros do last year? Do you, do you remember? They lost to the Phillies in the World Series, right? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, game they, one, oh, sorry, they, they, they sure lost. lost. To the, they lost to the Phillies in games one and three of the World Series, but they won games two, four, five, and six to win the World Series. And then they fired their general manager like a week later. Oh, what a weird organization. But they are, in a lot of ways, the standard. They have been to the American League Championship Series the last six seasons. They've been to the World Series four of the last six seasons. They've won two of the last six World Series this team is absolutely legitimate. How was their winter in Jose Abreu replacing Yuli Gurriel, basically? 
huge upgrade. I mean, huge upgrade. No other way. Monstrous upgrade. (laughs) Amazing upgrade. No other way to cut that one. They bring back Rafael Montero, who was outstanding for them out of the bullpen. And they bring back Michael Brantley, who actually does remain hurt to start the season. He's going to be in Houston for the celebration stuff and then go back to Florida to continue rehabbing. His timetable is a little bit up in the air. I think maybe a couple weeks, about a month into the season. On the way out, Christian Vasquez behind the plate. Aledmas Diaz, who'd been there forever. Trey Mancini, who was awful for them once he got there at the deadline. And then the American League Cy Young, Justin Verlander, is also... uh, Oh, that's probably important to note. Fangraphs, let's go to the projected starting lineup behind the plate for the Houston Astros will be the legend himself, Martin Maldonado, who just keeps trucking. He hits 150 and he catches everything thrown near him and handles the hell out of the pitching staff. Abreu at first... Altuve at second, whenever he gets back from his broken finger that he had in the A in the uh, WBC, David Hensley will take that spot for the time being alongside Mauricio Dubon. They'll split the time over there. Shortstop, Jeremy Pena and his enormous arms. Third base, Alex Bregman. The outfield will be Chaz McCormick, Jake Myers, and Kyle Tucker until Michael Brantley gets back. I think we're going to see a little bit more if Jordan Alvarez in the outfield than we have in years past. He'll also get some time, though, at designated hitter. The rotation is Verlanderless, but it's still freaking awesome. Framber Valdez on the bump. He'll be their opening day starter. Christian Javier, Jose Urquidy, Luis Garcia, and Hunter Brown will try and nail down that five spot, at least until Lance McCullers gets back off the IL. In the bullpen, one of the best units in the league, Ryan Presley, Rafael Montero, Brian Abreu, who is absolutely sick, Hector Neris, Ryan Stanek. Phil Maton, that is a unit of a pen. Let's talk about the defending champs. Paint me a picture, Jordan. How does this team not win the division? Uh, listen, as a Mariners fan, this is the challenging exercise. And you would think, oh, well, Mariners fan, well, you you can see the opt- – no, no, no. The Astros are the best. I've been screaming it for years. Yes, they cheated. Yes, they were also probably the best then and are still the best now. Yes, they have some huge pieces to replace in Verlander and now Altuve to start the season, which is which is not a big thing. I mean, Altuve was one of the best players in baseball last season, so missing him for any amount of time is tough. And I guess we can start there, right? You don't have Altuve for a couple months. Maybe he you know, doesn't come back as strong. It takes him a while to maybe regain the power stroke. And now the bottom of the lineup is not very good. Like David Hensley, who now they have going from the shortest second baseman to the tallest, he was pretty good last season, but obviously limited track record there. So we don't totally know what we're getting there. McCormick and Myers offensively have been incredibly inconsistent. Maldonado obviously sucks as a hitter, as valuable as he is. So if we have some Pena offensive regression, which I think is possible, the bot that there is versions where this the bottom of this lineup is is poor. Is poor. And then as far as the rotation goes, I think Frommer is the only one we know for sure can give like a lot of innings. Like his quality start stretch, like that is his skill. That's good that they have that. Talent-wise, Javier Garcia Brown is unbelievable. Urquidy's a little bit more solid. But I will say that they, they could start dipping into their depth a little bit quicker. I don't see the flaw in the bullpen at all. <laughs> like I don't we, – we just watched it with – let's just remember how good the pitching staff was in that, in that postseason that I don't really see the flaws there. I guess you would just say bullpens sometimes get worse for no reason. And I guess that would be the hope there. But that's the picture I'm painting. I don't really believe it because I think the middle of this lineup is so good. But that's where I'm at. 
They did not give a start last year to a bad pitcher. Eight people started for that Houston Astros last year. Framber, Verlander, Urquidy, Garcia, Javier, McCullers, Jake Odorizzi, who is not awesome, but not bad, and Hunter Brown. Odorizzi's gone. Verlander's gone. Okay? Still, I understand it's six good pitchers, right? But we haven't seen them have to tap into that depth. Do I believe that the Houston Astros have a couple good pitchers we don't know a lot about lying around? Yeah. Yes, I do. But until we see it, that is the way that they lose. Will it happen? No. No, it will not. Let's move on to our next question, which is Verlander related. We kind of touched on it. Will they regret not bringing him back? Yeah, I, this is a weird one because Verlander is such a unique free agent in so many respects. It does feel like he felt like his time was done there and they felt like his time was done there, not because he's not still awesome, but because you know he's 40 years old and you just don't really know how much longer you're betting on it. Um, and I think they just trust that they're just going to keep churning out these guys, right? Like how many of how many more Garcia's, you know, Javier's or Kitties do you need to see before we're suddenly shocked when Miguel Ulola or whatever is like amazing in the big leagues in two years? Like they clearly trust their development and they did not view that as a worthy investment. And that's why they went out and gave Jose Abreu all that money in a blink um, instead. And so in that sense, I don't think they're going to regret it that much. I think we could feel it more come postseason time, right? I think they'll win the division again. I love Fromber. I think Javier, everyone, for obvious reasons, we know what he's capable of in October. But maybe after that is when you start to feel a little bit, now it's possible Hunter Brown's awesome and it's like, who cares? But maybe that's when we're feeling it more. In the regular season, I don't think it's going to matter that much. The reason Atlanta beat the Astros in 21 versus the Phillies not beating the Astros in 22 is it's not there's a, a there's a million and one reasons right the biggest one for me is Justin Verlander I understand that the Astros lost the first game of the series where he pitched but Verlander's start when the series was tied 2 to 2 in game 5 in Philadelphia to bring this series lead back to Houston that was the whole thing And they did not have him in 21. He was hurt that entire season. And so during that World Series, I mean, they gave a start to Jose Urquidy. They gave a start to Zach Greinke, right? That was the difference, okay, at least in in my opinion. They gave two starts to Luis Garcia in that World Series. Two starts to Luis Garcia. Now, those guys could take a step forward and be good enough where it warrants giving them starts. They have SIDS, right. But the reason, like in October – Having a guy like Justin Verlander who's just going to make you, you know, want to go home mm-hmm. and cry to your mom, like that is a big difference maker. Last question here. This team changed leadership over the offseason, bringing in Dana Brown as a new general manager. He had been in Atlanta, a big part of that juggernaut for a long time. We saw the fingerprints pretty much right away extending Christian Javier um, once Brown got to Houston. But my question is, Jeff Bagwell, who was very much involved over this offseason in a bizarre way alongside the owner, Jim Crane, do we see Bagwell fingerprints on this team at any point this year? He had spoken about how they needed to change some of their player development things, which is ridiculous considering that they are the Astros. Do we see 
Bagwellisms popping up around the team in 2023. Yeah, I think, and maybe this is what you mean, the fingerprints, whatever. How much do we see him? I mean, he was out there talking as if he was in charge of the team at multiple points during the offseason. And so now that they have a clearly much more qualified and respected actual GM in Dana Brown, who can presumably take those speaking roles, those public speaking, uh, you know, responsibilities, does Bangwell kind of fall back to the shadows? He's still obviously going to have Jim Crane's ear. Duh, right? But how obvious is it, to your point? I don't know. Uh, we're going to see. Now, again, this roster, and we'll get to our barometer bonds here, but like <laughs> the the two through four is through five is crazy. Like Tucker Bregman, Alvarez, Abreu is out of control ridiculous because this is a team, plus Altuve, right? And Pena, I, like I'm even, I'm just like writing in regression for Pena, but like maybe not. Maybe he is just this good. Like he he still slugged, you know, almost 500 last year as one of the best shortstops in baseball. So like to me, he's already established almost like a Dansby Swanson esque floor, and maybe he is just as even better than that. So if that's the case, then holy shit. But like this lineup is so hard to pitch to. It's not just that they're all have these big power numbers. It's that the at bats are just unbelievable, and you add a Bray to that. I mean, it's just, it's out of control. So that's why, by point being, hard roster to screw up. And so I think they know that. Everyone knows that. Nothing Bagwell can do. Nothing Dana Brown can do. And I believe in Dana Brown. It's not going to matter. So it's really just going to be injuries that can torpedo the season. Maybe it started with Altuve, but this team's so freaking good. And our barometer bonds is Christian Javier, who is the one person on this roster who could, at least from a rate perspective, replace Justin Verlander's dominance from a year ago. The world found out about Javier in the World Series when he started the no-no. Again, this team threw a no-hitter in the World Series against the Phillies, who were as hot as any team had ever been. Okay, just ridiculous stuff. Last year, Javier, 148 innings, 2-5-4 ERA, a boatload of strikeouts, one of the best pitchers on a rate basis in the league. A lot of that is thanks to his outrageously good modern fastball, his forcing fastball, which does not drop. It's got the ride, top of the zone, guys swing and miss at it, and they can't touch it. I believe he threw the pitch like 67% of the time last year, which is kind of ridiculous for a fastball for, for a starter. He's the guy. Like, if he is throwing 180 innings, he'll finish in the top five in the Cy Young, and alongside Framber, will give them a one-two punch of aces at the top of the rotation, and no one will... Remember Justin Verlander. If yeah. he's hurt or throws 120 innings or whatever, then we have a little bit of concern. But I believe that come October, he's starting game two of series and dominating people. Yeah. And so that's the thing. I think it's going to be about almost pacing himself because they probably don't need him to throw 200 innings to win the division. Uh, at the same time, like, like you said, talent-wise, it's there. It's not just the 194 strikeouts and 148 innings. That no-hitter in the World Series was a fitting finale considering he was the hardest pitcher to hit in the league. Not just ERA-wise, he, he had the lowest batting average against in the league and only allowed 89 hits in nearly 150 innings. And so that's his thing, man. That's his thing. He is just as hard to hit as almost anybody. Sure, he's still walking a good amount of guys, but he's everyone's obvious breakout pick for, for good reason. And if he, can, if he can't do it over 200 innings, then he might just win the Cy Young, and then they're really not worried about anything. But I'm, I am curious how they kind of pace himself because he didn't have that bulk by the time he got to the postseason, so he was really fresh. But maybe that's not necessarily the case 
um, this year if they're relying on him more. All right, the over-under is 95 and a half. I believe that dropped a win or two after the Altuve injury, which makes sense. However, I will still take the over. Um, 106 wins a year ago. Uh, yes, the division's better. Yes, the league is better. I don't know, 106 not happening. Even 100 is maybe a little aggressive, but I will take the over on Houston uh, until I don't even know what would have to happen, but <laughs> I'll keep taking the over on Houston. I say this to you, dear listener. You want to bet against the Astros? Sure. You go ahead, do it with your own money, because I will also take the over. How will this division shake out, Jordan? I'm going to go Houston, Seattle, Anaheim, Texas, Oakland, with the only team in the postseason being the Astros. Yes. Um, I think that's fair. I think I still like the Mariners right in that third round card conversation again. I think, oh boy, Texas is so hard. I know we talked to Kennedy about it. Like I could see them even, they might even be more volatile than the Angels, which is hard to fathom. But I might take Texas slightly over Anaheim. Still, I would take Seattle over both of them. Uh, but I think I like your prediction pretty good in terms of the order. So Oakland, shock the world. Make it happen. Or good luck with better lottery luck after this season <laughs> than what you had a year ago. All right, Jake, we did it. We previewed the AL West. We have one division left. That is the NL West, which we will be doing on Wednesday. We will also have a larger picture season preview dropping on opening day. Reminder, April 8th, we are having a live podcast event in Baltimore. Details, uh, keep an eye on those uh, coming on our Twitter feed, and we will just be pumping that over the next uh, few weeks, of course. Uh, of course, the link to buy our merch, which is buy a real it. thing that exists podswag.com slash baseball. You can find all that info in the description or on our Twitter as well. If you've bought merch and you've received merch, tweet a picture of it to us. Yeah. Let's see that merch that you're rocking. I want to see yeah. you wearing that merch to the grocery store or, you know, to court even. Whatever <laughs> merch is for, you know, wherever you're wearing your merch, let, let us see it. All right. How has our merch changed your life? Yes, I'm tired of seeing Jake wearing all these things. Let's 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 mix it up a little bit. Uh, but thank you all for listening. Thank you to Kennedy Landry for helping us with the Texas Wranglers. Thank you to Chris Tyler for producing this as always, and thank you Jake for co-hosting this podcast with me. We will be back on Wednesday with the National League West. Sirius XM Podcasts.